evening and welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre on the 19th of October 2011 for No Pressure To Be Funny, created by Alistair Barry and Nick Revel and podcasting on the British Comedy Guide. To start the show, we have to introduce our host, a man who covered the riots, but unlike MPs, doesn't expect a holiday because of it. Would you please welcome your host, Mr. James O'Brien. Thank you very much indeed, and thanks indeed for coming along. Good evening and welcome to No Pressure To Be Funny, the topical discussion show that aims to carry as little rubbish as Oliver Letwin's briefcase. <laughs> Incidentally, we would like to take this opportunity to thank you for choosing No Pressure To Be Funny for your topical comedy needs. We realise you have a choice of satire providers and want to thank you for choosing No Pressure, despite the government's insistence that you look around for alternative suppliers. <laughs> yes, it was on Monday that David Cameron called all the energy bosses to a meeting to get tough with them over prices, in much the same way that Sepp Blatter has stamped out corruption at FIFA. <laughs> Cameron did manage to secure the following massive concessions. The energy companies must encourage people to pay by direct debit. <laughs> oh, yes. We will fight their greed by entering a legal contract to pay them more regularly. What a kick in the teeth for the cartels. Secondly, we should buy insulation. We are going to be advised to wrap our houses in cotton wool in much the same way as the government currently does the energy companies. This, of course, has the added advantage of keeping your house warmer for the people who move in when you've been evicted because all your direct debits have started bouncing like an energy minister sitting in the wrong seat when passing a speed camera. Please join me now in uh, <laughs> greeting our first musical interlude of the evening, a gentleman who we're delighted to have with us tonight, fresh from an extremely well-received stint at the Edinburgh Festival, Mr. Steve Gribbin. Right on cue, uh, this is a, a song for the uh, protesters Square, and it is a new type of protest, so um, this is heavily influenced by the uh, Public Image Limited song, uh, This Is Not A Love Song. This one's called This Is Not A Protest Song. It goes something like this. Gather round people who are a bit pissed off. Be students, protesters, or undercover cops. We can call our text, but best leave Blackberry alone. Calling ourselves the 99%, which is ironically all the money we've spent as first-time mortgage buyers trying to get a bloody home. So come on, pranksters, gird your loins. Pay off your debts, but use two pence coins. Dress up as a pen and chain yourself to the countertop. We want to be recompensed. All bankers need to be ring-fenced with razor-sharp wire and a 50-foot drop. This is not a protest song. You're under no obligation to sing along. But if you must, please sing the full amount. Download it now onto your phone. Save it as your new ringtone. And the lyrics are kept in an offshore account. 
We've got circus performers who are so vital. Gonna put your British bank manager on a unicycle, saying we're gonna check your balance for a change. It's a new kind of protest with a mischievous slant. We don't do the old slogans or chants. Just stand outside the banks saying, what's your mother's maiden name? The banks are ours, or we're part owners. So come on, bankers, collect your bonus. It's there on the end of that coach, on the edge of the precipice. You treat the whole world like a casino. Got the moral conscience of a neutrino. Faster than the speed of light, we're gonna piss on your chips. This is not a protest song. For today's attention span, it's far too long. The overdrawn have overcome and fast. If Martin Luther King were here today, I'm sure that we would hear him say, Good God Almighty, interest free at last. Interest free at last. Interest free at last. Good God Almighty, interest free at last. Alongside Steve on the panel this evening, um, we've got lovely selection of guests for you actually. Our second guest is a journalist and assistant editor at the New Statesman magazine, at which point I, I feel we should sort of go woo. <laughs> uh, she recently wrote a piece bemoaning the lack of women on panel shows, so we thought it would be only fair to invite her onto ours. Please welcome Helen Lewis hastily. <laughs> Our next guest started in the mid-60s as a singer with the Manchester group The Chuckles, which would be a great intro if it wasn't the Wikipedia entry for an entirely different Chris Neal. <laughs> Please welcome, just a minute, regular comedian, producer and blogger, that Chris Neal. <laughs> And our fourth panellist tonight is an Australian comedian who was nominated for the Perrier Award in 2004. Uh, she also co-wrote and starred in the E4 sketch show Beehive. In addition, her very presence means that we are now Britain's most equal opportunities panel show. <laughs> Please welcome Sarah Kendall. <laughs> and Sarah has uh, also very kindly agreed to be our devil's advocate. This is a section of the show where one of our panellists takes a, a somewhat less than popular stance on one of the week's big stories and uh, attempts to defend it. Uh, this week it's the crowd-pleasing motion that the devil's advocate believes that the energy companies should be allowed to make as much money as they can. Absolutely. Yes, I support them. I support them 100%. And you want to know why I support them rising their, raising their prices? Because I, like the energy companies, care about the environment and the future of our planet. Cheap energy means wasted energy. But you put up the prices and everyone invests in solutions that will ultimately save our planet. I'm talking about switching off lights when they're not in use, insulating your home, shops turning off their display lights when trading hours are over. When our planet eventually has been saved from the clutches of environmental devastations due to man-made climate change, do you know who we're going to be thanking? <laughs> the energy companies. The energy companies who bravely weathered the storm of public disapproval because their first concern has always been preservation of the environment. God bless capitalism and thank you. 
You're supposed to sort of poke fun at the motion, not convince the audience that actually... <laughs> I know, I found myself alarmingly charismatic during that. <laughs> uh, you've some salient points raised, though, not least, of course, the fact that the energy companies from where most of us sit do appear at the moment to be enjoying carte blanche to make as much money as they humanly can. Um, Helen Lewis hastily, there's no real way of... No. Altering that, is there? No, basically what David Cameron did is sort of invited them to a lovely meeting, gave them some biscuits and said, hello, capitalist companies, would you like to make less money, please? That would be really nice. <laughs> and they all went, oh, yes, David Cameron, definitely will do that. Lovely biscuits, thank you. And we'll have just gone off and gone back to doing exactly what they did before. Their prime reason for existing is to make a profit for their shareholders. The only way that any of this can be achieved is by them voluntarily agreeing not to do that. Is it, is it, it is that simple. Because sometimes when you're on the outside looking in, you, you, you think it can't really be that simple because there are people earning huge amounts of money for analysing situations <laughs> like this. There are columnists paid uh, six-figure salaries for uh, treating it as if it were really more It's almost as if the entirety of management consultancy is yes. a huge fraud. God forbid, that can't <laughs> be true. That would be ridiculous, obviously. Um, so the KPMG, of course, being the most famous management consultants in the news today for uh, uh, charging for half a million pounds for giving advice to Staffordshire Police. Do you know what the advice was? Arrest fewer people. <laughs> None of us have the audacity to do that. And that's why we're never going to be the super rich. We would just never do that. It's like when you hear about like oil prices spiking and stuff. You just know there's just a room full of billionaires going, what price should we set it at now? <laughs> the fools will pay anything. Because they have to. Exactly. Really, with energy. It's, it's not like sandwiches, Chris Neil. Right, I'm with uh, British Gas Dual Fuel. I've been saving a fortune. And um, Can you, can you write that down? You what? Can you write that down for us? Uh, dual Fuel is very yeah, good with British Gas. Honestly, sometimes, you know, you think, oh, they're paying me. <laughs> and um, uh, But actually, I, what it, what I did, it, it was all rather horribly. And this summer, I've, you know, I've not had the heating on. I mean, I'm not terribly young, and me, but me, me, ski, me, me blood's not as thin as it might be when I get older, and so I've not had to put the heating on. Uh, and I know it's been a cool summer, but it's not been that cold. And so I've not had the heating on. I shower, so there's not been too much hot water being made. And yet I've had uh, a gas and electricity. I know you, what it's like on being on the phone to your mother, isn't it? <laughs> I've... Um, I've had a, I had a, a bill arrive about six weeks ago for the best part of £180. And I am racking, unless the borrowers have moved in, and I, I'm racking my brains to think what I've spent £180 on. And I've just, I've just, I've just, I told them, in fact, two days ago, I said, I'm not paying. And, and uh, how's that working? Well, this man was... <laughs> well, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm quite intrigued to see what's happening. I've been doing it with Dale the mortgage company for two. months. But um, <laughs> yeah, he, he did say, well, you can't not pay. And I said, well, I know, but what, what will happen if I don't pay? And he said, well, there'll be consequences. <laughs> and, and, but I thought, well, my sister has been saying that to her youngest son all his life, and he's, he's a little shit. And... <laughs> And, and so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go with it. I'm just going to see how long I can go for and not pay them. But not then obviously the huge fee tonight, that may cover it, and I, I might decide to spend it on that. I don't know. So it's, uh... You're suffering from this increasingly common phenomenon called fuel poverty. Well, what, do we know exactly what that means? Do we precisely? It's a percent what percentage of your income you have to spend on, on heating your home. One of the problems is that we still, I believe, give winter fuel allowance to people who've buggered off to the Costa del Sol. 
can get cold in Mar- Ma- Malaga. It can. The, you know, the type of people who populate the Daily Mail website comments going, we well, send them all home, expat yes. Dubai. Yes. I hate immigrants, <laughs> except me. <laughs> Love from Malaga. Yeah. So the, the, the relatively small amount of money that one might save by shopping around is never going to elevate one from fuel poverty, is it? Well, no, also the kind of people who are in fuel poverty are not the kind of people who have got the internet. fuel poverty, and I've got the internet. I spent hours on the internet and get a nice warm glow off it. I mean, I kind of... <laughs> Why doesn't anyone ever do something like Asda are doing at the moment with the supermarkets? If one of them came up with a really brilliant idea, I always thought if I was a billionaire, I'd start a bank that just did exactly what all the other banks do for half the profit. Just <laughs> half the profit. And again, we're back to the... Uh, what are Asda doing? What are they doing? Well, Asda are doing this thing where you keep your receipt from Asda. Yes. <laughs> no one, there's no one in from Chiswick, is there? <laughs> You keep your receipt from Asda and you type a code in on their website and if any other supermarket is selling any of the stuff on your bill for less, they'll make up the difference. Really? Lovely. That's really. Right. Suddenly nice. being single doesn't seem so sad anymore. <laughs> it does seem unfair, but, but in the context of energy, what would I, I don't want to use the word sexy, but I think it conveys what I mean by this. How do you make fuel poverty a sexy story because it, 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 when we can get angry about it in a slightly abstract sense you can get cold I imagine in a very concrete sense if you are struggling to pay your fuel bills but where do those two <coughs> positions meet how do you make it a sort of rallying point for people who aren't freezing to death it's utterly impossible I mean yes. one of the things that's what um, I fear there's <laughs> your answer ben, no I'm sorry <laughs> Ben Goldacre of the Guardian has a really great phrase which he calls the tedium shield and he says so much of what is important in modern life is protected by the tedium shield so there's a really big change that came over when they switched the index linking of pensions. Yes, yeah, sorry, it's all going to get a bit too funny now. From <laughs> RPI to CPI, two different measures of inflation. And that has cut 11 billion off the value of people's pensions. But it's do you know about that? Dull. No one knows about that. It's just simply too boring for the human brain to hold at any one time. It is, isn't it? It's and like it putting the prefix EU in front of yes. anything, isn't it? Yeah. As soon as if you put Euro, people's minds just go... Well, <laughs> it depends what newspaper you read. Some people Ooh. go... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, staying with uh, uh, politics, this uh, and, and taking advantage of our Equal Opportunities panel, the, the story this week that women are deserting the Tory party at a rate that is not only faster than, than men's exodus, but also somehow demonstrably linked to their gender, as if the fact that... This, is this to me, looked a little bit sexist in the first place, because the subtext, if I've understood it correctly, is that women are deserting the Conservative Party because they're more touchy-feely, and they've got better bullshit detectors, and they are waking up faster to just how nasty... The Conservatives are. Let's um, ask the ladies. Let, well, yeah. 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 Uh, would you like to represent all of women, or shall I? So I, I, I'm, 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 I, as, as a patriarchal figure, I'm a. I'm, you tell us. I will, you tell I will us be making that decision. Yeah, Sarah Kendall, could you first represent all women, please? I'd be happy to. <laughs> I think what's happening here is there was a, a brief honeymoon period where everyone went, yeah, Labour screwed over the economy and screwed the country and it's all their fault. Yeah, let's vote in the Conservatives or a Conservative Lib Dem coalition and we'll, yeah, stick it to Labour. And the romance period is over and they've gone, oh, that's right, we hate the Conservatives, we forgot. All the austerity cuts that the Tories are proposing disproportionately affect women. Yep. So pension changes, sure start centre closures, uh, pri- um, public sector redundancies, women more likely to work yes. in the public sector, more likely to work part-time. Uh, the NHS, uh, women are more likely to be carers. And also there is David Cameron's big face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 
terrible piece of Photoshop that exists in the world where somebody's taken his head, swelled it to twice the size, and put the features back on the same size. And once you see it with this huge expanse of face around it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. <laughs> that is just such Rem a good explanation. Let's face it, it's not going to make any difference to the next election, is it? We're not going to be seeing Prime Minister Ed Miliband. Is it a note? Yeah. And no one knows whether to be sad about that or not. Um, you, you but are, they're not going to see the Tories right. are going to win the next election I how, mean how do you play it even if one were a died in the wool Labour loyalist how, the, how are you supposed to handle the Miliband problem at the, what do you say I don't know you can't remove him or replace him no. and yet deep in your dark red heart you and know, I voted for him you know he's never going to he's never going to win I like him though. I, really I like, like him, him too, but I you know, I hair, like Mr. Sure Kipling. Prime Minister. I want to hold his satchel above his head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and your euphemisms. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, an, that's a very Australian figure of speech. <laughs> 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 I want to hold his satchel above. I'll leave you with that, that mental image. So, Helen, that's fascinating because. It's nothing to do with femininity or... or, or uh, well, for me, it doesn't help when you look across at Prime Minister's questions and you see Nick Clegg, who always looks like he's in a hostage video, next to Catherine, <laughs> just sort of sitting there going, I just can't get out. I know. Send money, send money now. <laughs> cable. Cable looks worse. And then George Osborne, uh, whose face is just, yeah, I mean... Not I just, a face-related human. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I look at him and I see Prince George from Blackadder the Third, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that almost everyone in the entire country does, right? They will now. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't think, and I don't look, and I think, gosh, these people are very in touch with my problems. And then David Cameron goes into him, which he best says, some of my best friends are women. Yes. Which <laughs> is never a good line. And it's not true. It's not true either, actually. It doesn't have anything. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the thing I found particularly interesting was the very neat sort of demolition of the notion that it is somehow intrinsically female femininity that has turned people against Cameron. It's actually self-interest, as you describe it. It's got nothing to do with being more in tune with your emotions or more nurturing or any of the things that are traditional. No, it's actually <laughs> saying... All of those your things are bollocks. As we talk about David Cameron, as we uh, continue to focus upon him, because we have to, he is the Prime Minister, uh, Nick Revel will join us with a, with a brief monologue about David Cameron's recent antics on the London Underground. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Revel. Yeah, it, it relates actually to uh, to the slump in, in Tory support uh, amongst women. I don't know if you saw it in the standard. He went for a little photo opportunity this week. Um, he, he was on the tube uh, and he started smiling at a young woman and said that she had a really beautiful baby. Uh, and, and the woman he was talking to uh, had just arrived from India last week, so she had no idea who he was. And uh, so at this point, presumably, Cameron thought about uh, phoning his new Crime Stoppers hotline to report her as a possible illegal immigrant. But then he remembered just in time that he was being nice Dave today rather than draconian Dave. Uh, and, uh, and also he thought, oh, well, you know, my PR people have gone to a lot of effort to, uh, to come up with this idea for a photo opportunity by stealing it blatantly off Rihanna. Um, so he said... <laughs> So he said modestly, uh, in, in a voice loud enough for the entire carriage to hear, actually, I'm the Prime Minister, and I'm just travelling on the tube to my way to on my way to work. Uh, and he said that he always travels on the train uh, because it's quicker than travelling by car. And it was, this was news to me, because I seem to remember he travels everywhere by bike, uh, being followed by a helicopter, three cars, and a couple of security vehicles. But... Uh, 
what I was thinking was, you could imagine the scene there on the tube, because all the commuters, as we know, when you're on the tube, you, you, you don't look up, do you? You're just buried in your newspaper. But they'll all have been listening and thinking, oh, Christ, we've got a nutter. <laughs> and not just any nutter, this one's serious nutter. He's pretending to be the prime minister. You know? And then they look up and they see that it's him. And in that split Second, every Londoner on that tube, tube, tube carriage would have known immediately that David Cameron clearly and undisputably is a liar because he was on a tube talking to a complete stranger. <laughs> Londoners, what is the first rule of tube travel? You never talk to anyone. But of course, the woman being from India, uh, she got taken in by this, and she was very excited at this point. And as you probably saw in the standard, uh, Cameron got his little uh, photo up of him being lovely to, to women. Uh, they're both smiling there, him, him and the woman. But it was in interesting to me that the baby who started the whole thing was not in the photo. Because, and I think this is a testimony to how media savvy children are these days. The, the, the mother was taken in by all the glamour, but the baby saw straight through it. That baby, six months old, could clearly already tell the difference between baby shit and bullshit. Nice you. Thank you. Helen, you used to work for the Daily Mail. Do these photo opportunities... <laughs> Thanks, do, you, do you bring that up more? Do, do these photo opportunities ever persuade anybody? What are the Daily Mail? Well, they, well, just I mean, if they were aimed at anyone, it'd be it'd be their readers, wouldn't it? I, I can't. I just struggle to see how anyone's going to yes. open up their newspaper and go, "Oh, good old David Cameron. He catches the tube to work just like we do." Or maybe no. I will vote for him. Never mind about the tax credits and my shawl start closing. He seems like a very nice chap, very down to earth, very in touch with the rest of us. But the reverse <laughs> is true in that a really bad photo that yeah. continually reprinted. I'm thinking of David Miliband and the banana. Or William well, Hayes. Kinnock falling into the cap. sea. Everybody remembers Kinnock yeah. falling into and the sea. And that will just come and define you as a, po as a politician. <laughs> Dale Farm today, there were probably, I think, more journalists there than there were actual <laughs> protesters by, by close of play. That's a genuine. I really wanted you to say then there were more journalists there than actual gypsies. That's <laughs> what um, so I thought you were going to say for one exciting moment, but you didn't. No. no. Why, would, why would I say that? Well, I think gypsies have got something to do with the story. Yes, they? They? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what is the rule on saying gypsies? It wasn't like I was saying Balti dish experts or something. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, uh, you can't say gypsies. You can't. You can say gypsies. You can't say gypsies, you can say gypsies. You can say gypsies with a Y. It's an ethnic group. Right. Yeah. So gypsies. But even when you enunciate the Y. Yeah. Okay. Get it clear. Okay. And why was why was that word? Why did that? Why was that taboo? Why was well, that it wasn't taboo. It, it became sort of He couldn't bring himself to say it. Are you accusing me of some form of political correct? I was talking about journalists and protesters. Like sitting next to Polly Bloody Toy. The whole really point. <laughs> the whole point of my interjection was that the protesters weren't gypsies. Oh, very smug. You see? Yeah. The difference between yeah. Romany gypsies come from Central Europe, Irish travellers, and the Gendale Farm, correct me if I'm wrong, yes. predominantly Irish travellers. Well, I, I was going to say that I heard a brilliant thing on the radio that's. Um, oh, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> True. It's P Peter Mandelson, it was. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> no, the thing is, uh, this, they, they were trying to be. Uh, they 
brought the right police in, but there was, there was a brilliant bit where a protester was lying down on the floor and the policeman obviously trying to follow the new guidelines of how you should deal with a protester. And he just couldn't help sounding slightly most of He goes, is there anything I could do or say to you that will make you do what I want? <laughs> <laughs> and she just went, no. He went, oh. <laughs> I don't know a huge amount about this story. I haven't. Thought, I'm sorry. That's you know. But I mean, isn't it? You know, There's isn't the reason why they've got to move them on is because it's about the letter of the law. They've got mm. to go. Well, you can't just stay here because you want to. Like there has to be some sort of upholding of. Yeah. These are the laws of the land, and if we don't take a hard line with you, then anybody can kind of settle wherever. I don't know if this is an extremely right wing. It's going to go to hell in a handcart. No, it's oh. not. It, it's a curious. You, you, I think you've nailed it because a lot of people mm -hmm. who are of a leftish or liberal disposition can't really argue with the rule of law. Yeah. The wiggle room is provided by the fact that it's taken them 10 years to do it, by the fact that they own the land, and by the fact, as Helen points out, it's cost a huge amount of money. But well, there's also moral. the fact that the Tories, their previous incarnation, scrapped the requirement yes. that you would provide enough pitches for travellers. So what they've done is they've said, well, you've got to leave, but they haven't given, they've given them off the bricks and mortar homes to go to, but not pitches. And they don't want to split up. The community doesn't want to be split up. Mm. So it is, I, I kind of can't help thinking that it is a dog whistle to the Tory base of mm. we're being... Yeah, we'll which again, with the, which they need with all the planning stuff, right? Because mm. there's all this sort of... And Eric Pickles would be involved in that if it did go all the way to the top, which would explain how they could have spent £18 million on biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> the, yes, the Tories created the, the need for them to move on to the site, apparently. Well, some people blame John Prescott. It does depend slightly upon your political... Talk about a rock and a hard place. Who do you want to blame, the Tories or John Prescott? <laughs> <laughs> That's the sort of problem that could keep me awake at night, that sort of, that sort of dilemma. But yes, uh, it, 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 they are not supposed to be there. The law has, has chosen, but it, 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 to some people, isn't that simple. Is it that simple to you, Chris? Uh, well, it's hard, isn't it? If you kind of the trouble, yes, as you say, you could say, well, they've got to, you've got to follow the law, but mm. they have been there a long time as well, yes. and the land was sold to them. And if you sell land to travellers slash gypsies, I don't think you'd you have can't to be say a, that. Sorry, <laughs> uh, to travellers or gypsies. Um, <laughs> I. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'd have to be a genius to wonder what they might want to do with the land. I mean, it's unlikely they want to turn it into a city farm or, you know, they probably they probably want to live on it. So you sort of think if you sell land to people for that, it's not, you know, what, what, what did they think they were going to do with it if they weren't going to put... Res but did they think yes. that because they're travellers, they'd only be there for a short while and then they'd move on well, and see the rest of Essex yeah. or, I don't know, I'd, I'd go, oh, Harlow beckons. He's raised an interesting point there, though. The, the council are trying to integrate them, right, into a sort of settled community. So they so, sell them the land and then they tell them they've got to move off. They can't, they, they can't have their cake and eat it. But some of the statistics are quite shocking. Go I on. think that um, if you're a gypsy mother, I think you have, I think it's something ridiculous, like five times the likelihood of a child dying in the first year of life. Yes, life expectancy, I think, ten years shorter. So clearly, they want to settle this community and actually you know, get the children to schools, get proper healthcare access, because it's just uh, you know. It's but was the, so that that community there was quite settled, and the school yes. children were in schools. Yeah. And, and yeah, so there's a primary school that will probably close now because eighty or ninety percent of the children there were from the Dale Farm site. But it plays very neatly into what is, yeah, I yeah. think, most fascinating about events today and travellers and gypsies in general, which is why they get under the skin of. Well, polite society, for want of a better phrase, quite so deeply, quite so effectively. Most prejudices and bigotries are 
are at least understandable. You can get a handle on where that hate has come from. It could probably even, in some circumstances, be described as wrong but vaguely rational. Mm. What is it about the travelling community and the Dale Farm coverage has been the sort of thing that's normally reserved for a royal visit. The, I mean, the number yeah. of journalists there, the cameras there. Why <coughs> do these people, this particular lifestyle choice, hack off so many people Well, because so they're much. the last rung on the ladder, aren't they? They're, they're the ones that you can pick on. I mean, culturally, we're in, we're in a time where that abomination of a programme, My Big Fat Gypsy Wallowing in Other People's Misery, is a massive hit, and we can just laugh at the stupid gypsies. And I think that's is part it, of the whole simple? culture. Yeah, I think it definitely it is. Made by poncy middle-class people who wouldn't be found dead near any of their sites, you know. It, it's it by is. no means limited to Britain as well. Don't forget no. that all over Europe, they have been Romania, Bulgaria, they've been, they've been beaten to death and tortured, you know, and extradited and everything. I mean, the gypsies all over Europe are, you know, are under attack. I mean, one of the things that I read in one of the stories on our website was that yeah. they had been offered homes to go to. They had been offered bricks and mortar homes and they'd said no to them. And I think that really gets people's back up when, you know, when people just go, well, what more do you want? You know, yeah, I yeah. think that, that does, in times of economic hardship, when it's like you've been offered a house, but they what they're not understanding is that sense of community that you were talking about earlier, Helen. Yeah. And what about the appetite for the eviction? Because if it was at the bottom <coughs> of your garden, you, you would be perfectly <coughs> entitled to have a problem with it. But I've been to Dale Farm, and it isn't a particularly salubrious part of Essex, at risk of alienating huge swathes of my audience, I'm sure, this evening. It, it, it is a former scrapyard. If you really, I mean, it, it happens to be green belt land, but only in a very technical sense, not in any form of an aesthetic sense. You, we say green belt land as urbanites, and you have an image of a lovely brook babbling through uh, a valley with sort of children playing <coughs> in, the, in, the, in the stream. And it's nothing like that. It's a bit of a shithole. Why are people so desperate to see them chucked because out? Because live news thrives on the threat of escalation. Right. So the yeah. first bit of the riots is quite exciting, but the idea that the riots might go massive and yes. everything's on fire and London's burning, that's much more exciting. It's the moment before it kicks off. Because mm. when it kicks off, you're looking at it and it's and people are getting hurt yeah. but it's the idea that any moment now yeah, it's, it's something's going to happen and I'm going to see it happen in real yeah. time that's the, the face. you know that's that kind of is you just yeah. you can feel that kind of mob mentality kind that's of why you'd watch today but why you would be a week ago desperate for the eviction to go ahead isn't explained by that is it but also it does make good telly yes uh, yeah, which brings yeah. us back to the question of whether or not broadcasters well, should be in maybe it's if these people live away from mainstream society at a time where people feel they're being clobbered by bankers uh, or, yeah. or yeah. Uh, 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 gas utility companies and the government and no one standing up for you, uh, to see other people get away with something is particularly unappealing. You want everyone to suffer together and there's something and, and they've blatantly you know broken the law. But you see, the bankers get away with blue murder and you see, you know yeah. they're, they're not having any rules imposed upon them. And then it's almost like then these people in this shithole. You know, it's, well, now they get, you know, well, they've got to have the rule imposed on them. Like, somebody's got to hold yeah, the we're suffering. Yes, it, it, well, yeah. punching down instead of punching up, which leads us yeah. neatly to the city, uh, the Square Mile, and the Occupy London protest, which is, of course, underway as we speak. It's odd that these two stories have ended up being the biggest domestic issues of the week, in a way, because there is a sort of, I mean, there, there are common threads, not just the camping elements of it, which is... <laughs> <laughs> It does boil down to camping. Millets has really. got a lot to yeah. answer for. Yeah. There is a branch of Blacks the Outdoor Centre in Paternoster Square. Really? And that so manager is going to be getting some Christmas bonus. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, 
the, 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 the impunity element applies to both because as we've all pretty much, as you've all said, that the anger and the appetite for eviction comes from the air of impunity under which the travellers seem to live. And then the fury of the people who are occupying Paternoster Square, if that's the right verb, also comes from a perception that the bankers are behaving with impunity. So you have this bizarre juxtaposition of stories which paint the people Chris described as being at the bottom of society and the people being at the very top of society in economic terms as both somehow being free from the restrictions and the rules and the regulations that everybody in between has to, yeah. has to live under. Yeah. Well, I actually went down uh, both today and on Monday because it's just very conveniently around the corner from work. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just turns out very convenient protest for me. Uh, you journalists, you don't stop in your hunter <laughs> stories, do you? <laughs> so the funny thing about it is it's this excellent mix of the earnest and the ironic. So there's one, has the earnestness makes me want to cry. It's so sweet. Um, they were doing consensus-based decision-making. Have you ever seen this in action? Oh. Basically, everyone sits around in a big circle, and if you say yes, you put your hands up. You say no, you put your hands down. And if you're sitting on the fence, you do a sort of Tommy Cooper impression. No. <laughs> and you see a lot of people just sitting there doing that, and I just thought, oh, I can't take this seriously. I just don't want to not be cynical because you're taking part in democracy, and this is beautiful, but no. What were they being asked? Uh, I think they were being asked about the port lose Really? Oh. There seemed to be a lot of discussion about the port lose Well, some of them were going, I don't think I need. I have a feeling we could be here for months and I can <laughs> hold it in. <laughs> be all right. Somebody going, no, definitely not. No, I'm not going. So this... <laughs> I'm intrigued, I'm intrigued by this democratic model. So everything is, so there's not, ah, because when we try to book people to interview, there's no leaders. No, which really it's confuses the media. It's a bit like the Green the Party, as was. You know. is it, is that yeah. the, it is exactly like well, it's probably is, a, yeah. a few sort of fellow. So they had someone on Newsnight from UK Uncut, and they said, well, what did UK Uncut think about this? And she goes, well, I don't know, I'm just me. And you think, well, oh. okay, but why have you turned <laughs> up on Newsnight? Because it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Isn't there like a pret nearby? Well, actually, the, very handily, there's a Paul, so they can have some lovely macaroons. There you go. Mm. Uh, there's a Starbucks, <laughs> which has got free Wi-Fi, very useful for the Excellent. revolution. Yeah. Uh, there's an M&S Simply Food. That's yeah. perfect. They're um, good for me. You're, you're sounding increasingly like an estate agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those yes. two guys at the counter demonstration on Wall Street. Did you see that? It's, it's on YouTube. And there's about three bankers with a sign that just goes, get a job. Oh, that's wow. their idea. But the thing is, that's the nature of the protest, oh, though. I Nobody, nobody yeah, said yeah. anything to them. They just ignored them, and it made them so angry. But they're just like, get a job, and everyone just yeah. walked past them. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's there's now the counter protest where they're just going, stop whinging. This country was built on hard work. Yeah. Um, yes. So it's it's, it's extreme. But you Britain know, wasn't built on hard work. It was. Yeah. Britain was built on other people's hard work. Yeah. Did they have a point? Yes. Of course I have a point. Yeah, but yeah. the point is that, that, yes, it's very incohate and incoherent, but that there should be a political outcome to it, that, that, it's, uh, that at some point uh, some of the political parties, you know, um, especially Labour, should take note of what they're saying. Because what's happened here is this has taken place in spite of any of the political parties, in yes. spite of what the left is doing, because basically people are pissed off at, you know, uh, Sir Ed, um, they're pissed <laughs> off at his ineffectualness and, and the fact that both Labour and the Tories seem to be doing absolutely bugger all about the arrogant bankers. And let's face it, that whole um, situation where they, they had the inquiry and they said, uh, you know, we're going to ring fence the banks and then said, well, actually, we're not going to do that until 2019. I mean, it's just pathetic. Yeah. That's why it's happening. I mean, you can say it's in, incoherent and it makes no sense. But, but at the moment it doesn't. Do you think? 
Well, that, it, it will achieve okay. something if people take notice of it, it that have power to do something. Well, well, but they won't. Yeah. The government's not going to take it. It's like the energy companies again, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it is just sort of, would you mind awfully not being quite so rapacious and profiteering? But you professionally rapacious I mean, I'm not. I'm the only brave one here. I'm not paying my dual fuel gas no. bill. <laughs> and uh, I power. suspect we, this is I'm the not, we'll even though I've been <laughs> quite brave about it, yeah. and I think probably a lot of people in the room are quite admiring of yes, me. Bro yes, brother. Uh, I have a feeling that it's not going to bring the it's not going to bring the utilities down. British gas to its knees. Oh my God, we're 180 quid short. Where's that going to come from? That'd be questions it's actually incredibly defeatist attitude, though, isn't it? Come on. Yeah, well, it is. It, it is. It is. Well, let's all sit here and do nothing. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between realism and cynicism. You know. Okay. Let's, let's do, do, do you honestly all. think me not paying 180 quid to British gas is going to bring it to its knees? No. no, no, no you're you're doing the analogy you're making is slightly. You know, you're doing it for comic effect, obviously. But I think this thing, this thing is at the beginning. It's the very, very beginning of something massive. I, I really well, do. Well, there's, there's a part of me that hopes you're right, but the, we I can't get beyond something massive. But it's, I mean, I, th I think the whole point of it. I mean, yeah, this is sort of this is showing that there is a level of um, well, there's a huge level of aggression out there. But mm. when people start going hungry, like you know, when we've actually got this financial crisis that everybody's talking about and every financial forecaster is going, it is going to get really bad, like seriously bad. I think it's going to get a lot nastier than a couple of hundred people in tents. And I think when people actually do start going without food and <coughs> really vital stuff, I think that this is, is actually going to gain some momentum. And I don't think 20,000 people in New York City and however no, many thousands around growing, the world. I yeah, and I, I do think maybe not now, maybe this is just going to be like this, maybe this will peter out, but I think things are going to get really pretty serious. But that's exactly, I, I don't know about you, but I hate this tone of journalism is this low level, constant grinding cynicism that just goes on about. It's a living. <laughs> <laughs> I so much was wanted just to send out a series of snarky tweets and I thought, God, yes. this is what it's come to, isn't it? At least these people are actually bothering to say yes. something and all I can do is take photos of their silly signs and make fun of it on the internet. <laughs> but do you think, is there something more, because I think we'd all like to see the bankers be regulated more and, and not to be making the profits they're making at our expense. But yes. what realistically could be, I mean, how, how will this become... How, how will this become something concrete that would be useful? That's what I do want. How you get from there to something that would be good? Because I, implement implement those proposals that they're supposed to be doing. Cut do off the casino arm of the banks from the normal high street things. That's, that's but these things are one thing. Yeah, but these yeah, aren't going to happen. Gonna do aren't it they? they are, but not for another six or seven no, years. No, but do you think this process this protest is going to make it happen any sooner than that? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, I hope you're right. I hope. Bill yeah. Mayer made a brilliant point that in America, there's this sort of sacred attitude of don't do anything that'll scare off the billionaires. Yeah. Our economy will be screwed if we scare off the billionaires, and they haven't scared them off. No. And look what's happened to their economy. Yeah. You know, so you sort of. Well, think I don't think that line would work here now, would it? No, if nobody, if somebody, when when people say, look, all our brilliant bankers will go abroad i don't there's no sense that even the daily mail or the telegraph are going oh, well they really? do because they say what these bankers do they go out and they buy swimming pools and we need people who can dig swimming pools to get yeah paid but they're charging us quite a lot of money for their swimming of, pools really yes no i like the idea of scaring off billionaires the idea that some sort of massive hedge fund manager is want to to, to go and live in uh, roman abramovich might buy 
I don't know, Zurich Football Club or something. So but look where we're at. We, we haven't scared them off. And no. Look where it's, look yeah, where it's no, landed absolutely. us. We've done so everything we can to keep them. And must try harder. Is the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, just to be clear, you're right, there is a point. We know what they're angry about. Do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? Do you share Steve's optimism that actually something can be achieved? Well, Honestly. I think there's... A, no, is no, my no. is my gut feeling. The grinding cynicism <laughs> of the modern <laughs> Yeah, thanks for that. Um, but no, at least I think that they're trying, and I think that's. All, I mean, it's it's like voting. It makes a, a you know absolutely infinitesimally small change, but you do it anyway because that's what you do in a democracy. And I think that it's a good sign actually that young people can be bothered to do this mm. kind of stuff. There's some old people there as well. Well, I mean, old ish. There was a 48 year old man who I spoke to. On, on <laughs> that's still old I to think, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Completely got out of that one fine. The, um, uh, well, uh, you're right. And the notion that doing something has got to be better than nothing, even if there's not much hope of success. And that Paul Mason on Newsnight last week said, you've got no way of knowing how many people at home are, are, are nodding along in agreement, yeah. but of course yeah. don't have. It's not really the luxury of being over. And this is another. Yeah. The trouble is with right people nodding along, it doesn't help very much, does it, really? If enough people nod, I think you could, <laughs> I think you could power a small house. <laughs> <laughs> which would solve your problem. It would! <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes this evening's panel discussion on No Pressure To Be Funny. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Gribbin, Sarah Kendall, Chris Neal and Helen Lewis hastily. It's the 18th of December, our No Pressure to be Festive Christmas special, which you get a discount on by redeeming the ticket you bought for this evening. And finally, as the Blackberry crash last week was widely seen as proof that Steve Jobs moves in mysterious ways, it was announced that the former Apple CEO has been buried in an eye coffin. Great funeral. Shit reception. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good night.